Hey, if you got your Bibles with you, let's turn over to um, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse, we'll start here in a second, verse 28. And um, we're going to continue this series about uh, revival on Sunday morning. And this will be the fourth part of this series, and I'm excited about it today. I know you have your mask on, but I would appreciate responses this morning. Uh, from what I can see, I'm looking around here, everybody's got their mask on, so we're good. Uh, but we're going to respond this morning. And how many know when you preach about revival, you got to kind of respond. That kind of goes with it. And so we'll start at Hebrews 12 and 28. I encourage you, if you haven't been here on Sunday mornings, uh, to go back and listen to the podcast for the past three weeks because that will really help you on what we've been talking about on Sundays to really uh, lay the groundwork for what we're saying today. And when we preach in series, it's on purpose because there's no way we can fit everything into one message. So all the messages kind of build on top of each other. So let's turn there. Hebrews 12, 28. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. So this morning, today, we're still preaching about revival. I want to talk about the fire of God. I want to talk about the fire of God this morning. And thinking about revival and the fire of God, it says in Hebrews 12, 29, we just read it, that our God is is a consuming fire. We see that God reveals himself as fire all throughout the Bible. There's significance to it. We see that, especially during that time uh, in the world and still today, but especially thousands of years ago, fire was so significant. Fire could be the difference between life and death. If you had fire or you didn't have fire, it was the difference between life and death. It meant that you had power when you had fire. You had protection. I'm already preaching. You're not saying anything. You had protection when you had fire. You had purity when you had fire. You had livelihood when you had fire. So fire was significant, and we see that God all throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation reveals himself as fire, and there's significance to that, and it pertains to revival, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. We see that the men of God who wrote the Bible used language like fire. They would use those examples describing their experiences with God like fire. They would explain to us, even though they lived all those years ago, thousands of years ago, they explained when they experienced God, when they saw God, what did God look like? What did God feel like? And a lot of times they would use the example of fire. And so we see that in Hebrews 12, 29, it says, our God is a consuming fire. So I want to take you a little bit through the Bible, and we're not going to turn to all these places, but I want to mention some passages to you in the Bible where God revealed himself as fire. And then I want to talk about some specific things about revival and the fire of God. And lastly, before we leave today, I want to pray for you guys this morning. Anybody want that? Anybody need some prayer? Oh, you need some prayer. You haven't been prayed for since March of this year. You need some prayer. And I believe that God's going to do something special this morning. And revival fire is in this place. And God's going to impart some things, not because it's my power, but it's God's power using me and flowing through me. And this is going to be a day of revival fire in this place. I believe it. 
And so all throughout the Bible, we see this one of the first places in the Bible in Genesis 15. You can just write this down and look at it later. You see that Abraham, who is the father of our faith. How many remember Father Abraham? Come on, he had many sons. Father Abraham in the Bible revealed himself when God was breaking covenant with him, was, was, was cutting covenant with him. It says that it was at nighttime and that Abraham, it says he killed an animal and he split it in two because that's a sign of covenant. And he split the animal in two and it says that Abraham walked through the blood of that animal to cut covenant. I know it was pretty nasty and pretty gross and pretty real, but that's what covenant was when they broke covenant in that time in that day. But it says that after that, he saw something that looked like fire, that looked like a burning lamp that, that, that was smoking and there was fire that walked through that animal as well, and that was God. And so we see that God revealed himself as fire when he broke covenant with Abraham. We see in Moses' life in Exodus 3 that he had an encounter with God at a burning bush. That was fire. It says that he, he saw this bush that was on fire, but it was not consumed. It didn't burn up. It just kept burning and burning and burning. And God revealed himself through fire to Moses. And when Moses was there, he said that he was on holy ground. We see that, that when God's people came out of Egypt, is it okay if I teach you for a second? If, when God's people came out of Egypt, it said that he led them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. So that we see that when God's people came out of Egypt, which were millions of people, during the day there was a literal cloud that they were following that was the presence of God. Leading them and guiding them on where to go and where to walk and where to be. But at nighttime, it was a fire that they could see and they followed the fire by night. God revealed himself as fire. We see in the tabernacle and the temple, which was God's house in the Old Testament, that they used fire in all their ceremonies, in all their sacrifices, in the altar, in the purif purification. Fire was significant in the house of God and to symbolize the presence of God. We see all the prophets in the Old Testament. Every time that they would see God in a vision or a dream, they said that God looked like fire. That he was fire from the, from the waist down and he was fire from the waist up. They said every time that these prophets in the Old Testament would see visions and dreams of God, they said the best way to describe it, the power and the presence and the way it looks is he was fire. I, I know it was a man, but he looked like fire. I, I know it was a person, but he looked like fire. So fire is significant in the Bible and God reveals himself as fire. Now, we're not going to go light a bonfire outside and say, let's get around it and worship it because God is this fire. No. They're trying to use word pictures to show you what God is like and what he looks like and our experience with him because they're using something in the natural to tell us something about the supernatural and to tell us what, what God looks like to the natural eyes to these people in the Bible, but also the power and the experience that fire is in the natural God revealed himself in the supernatural that same way. And one of the, the greatest references of this is in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Come on, where's my organ when I need it? God revealed himself as fire. 
How many remember those verses? It says that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one place and all in one accord, and there appeared above their heads like tongues of fire. That's the presence of God. They're describing, once again, what they saw with their natural eyes. This is the best way to describe it, but the way it felt, the power and the presence of fire. And then we see all throughout the Bible, but even to Revelation, it says that when John saw Jesus, it says his eyes were like fire. He revealed himself as fire all throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That's why in Hebrews 12, 29, it says our God is a consuming fire. Because of the power he brings, because of the protection he brings to describe his holiness, to describe his purity, to describe his life, that God reveals himself as a consuming fire. He's still here this morning. But I want to talk about a few things specifically on how that pertains to us in revival because the fire of God wants to come into our lives just like it did on the day of Pentecost. And I'm not saying we're going to see a fire above your head because the fire is not an outside thing. It's an internal thing. How many know the fire that God gives you is not something that burns you from the outside or hurts you? Or it's not even something we can see usually with our natural eyes above people. It's something that's burning on the inside, in your spirit, in your heart. That God can set your heart on fire for him. God can set your heart on fire for the things of God. God can set your heart on fire for worship. God can set your heart on fire for prayer. God can set your heart heart on fire for the move of God. God can set your heart on fire for lost people. God can set your heart on fire to change your world. But it only happens when the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of you and he fills you to overflowing. Just like the book of Acts says on the day of Pentecost, they were all in one place and all in one accord and they were all filled. And when they were all filled, the fire came. And I believe that's not just a one-time experience because a lot of us in here have experienced a Pentecostal experience. We have received some fire, but we need some refiring. We need somebody to, to sometimes pour a little gasoline because our fire is getting a little dim. We need sometimes that God would put another log on the fire when our fire is growing weary and weak and the, the circumstances of life is trying to, to get rid of that fire and, and challenges are trying to stop that fire and a pandemic is trying to put that fire out and, and racial tensions is trying to put that fire out and, and financial crisis is trying to put that fire out. You need God to refire you. And there's refilling and there's refiring that comes with experiencing the presence of God. See, that's what so many people miss. They get filled with the Holy Spirit, which is great, but then they don't realize, I need to keep be being filled. I need to keep refilling. And the Holy Spirit wants to do that, but you have to come to him and you have to want it for him to fill you again. There's a lot of Pentecostals that are dry and burnt out, tired, empty. It's not because the Holy Spirit left them. It's because they're not getting refilled. And they're not getting refired. Now, how do you do that? First of all, come to a good church. 
to get refilled and refired. But in your personal life, that's where the real refilling and refiring happens. What happens from Monday through Saturday is when you really get refilled and refired. And God wants to do it, but he can't do it without your will. Without your want. Without your desire. Because God is a consuming fire. And I believe the fire of God is going to come in this place today. And you're going to get refired today. I'm going to throw some Holy Ghost gasoline on all of you. And you're going to get refired. Now, here's another thing that happens in revival. And, and I'm going to share a few things with you about fire pertaining to revival. This is one of the reasons that people know they need revival, but they don't want revival. You ready for this? All of us in here can agree we need revival. Like not just once a year or every other year at a special service. Like we need to live into, in revival. We, we know we need that. But a lot of times we don't, we don't want to do what it takes to get into revival, and we don't want that to happen because we know that means we got to change. We got to grow. That, that God's going to put his finger on the stuff in our life that is messing us up, and we don't want to change, and we don't want to fix because we like that sin, and, and we like that distraction, and we like living comfortable, and we like doing what we want to do. So we want the benefits of revival, but we don't really want it because we know when the revival happens that the stuff's going to have to change. I'm going to have to stop making excuses why I can't be here at church on Sunday mornings. I'm going to have to stop making excuses why I can't get in my Bible. I'm going to have to stop making excuses why I can hang out with my worldly friends, but I don't have time for life groups. Woo! I got about 10% responding right now. The other 90%, I guess, you got, you're feeling a little fire right now. It's getting a little hot up in this church. But... Re- Revival comes and fire comes, and what happens? One of the first things that we're going to talk about today is fire purifies. Fire purifies. Let's look at Zechariah 13 and verse 9 in the New Living. It says, I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. And I will call, and they will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, These are my people. And they will say, The Lord is our God. Let's jump back to the verse before. Notice what it says I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. And I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. So when the fire of God comes into your life, it starts purifying things. That's why we want the benefits of revival, but we don't want to do what it takes to get into revival. Because the fire purifies. The fire cleanses. And the hotter it gets turned up, the more it purifies. That's why a lot of people sometimes don't even want to come to a church like this because they'd rather go to a church with no fire. 
because it won't make me uncomfortable because I don't have to get pure. I don't have to get clean because there's no fire there. Church on the Rock makes me uncomfortable because the fire gets turned up and then I have to see my issues in my life that I don't want to change. But it says when the fire comes, God says, I will put you in this fire, the fire of God, and I will purify you as silver and refine you as gold. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to make you the best version of you. But you have to get rid of the junk in your life so you can be a pure vessel. So you can be pure gold, that you can be pure silver, that you can walk in holiness before God. And the fire of God comes and purifies when the fire of God is present in your life. It goes back to what we've been talking about the past several weeks about conviction. When revival preaching comes, it's uncomfortable. The past four weeks of Sunday mornings, you've probably been uncomfortable. I'm not doing that on purpose. I'm just saying what the Holy Spirit is telling me what to say. And when the Holy Spirit comes with conviction, it will make you uncomfortable. Because there needs to be change. There needs to be repentance. And without repentance, there is no revival. There is no revival without repentance. So this is what happens if if you know anything about refining or purifying gold or silver. They put it in the fire and they turn it up hot. Not because they're trying to hurt the gold or silver. They're trying to get it to the place where it is most beautiful. Where it's most clean, where it's most pure, where it has the most value. And so they got to put it through the fire to get it clean. You got to go through the fire if you want to be beautiful. You got to go through the fire if you want to be pure. And the fire of God comes in our life and it works on us. And this is what happens when you refine gold and silver. You, you turn the fire up and then the impurities come to the top that's why people get uncomfortable about revival preaching the past four weeks have been uncomfortable maybe on Sundays because I'm preaching and you feel like this whoa hey hey whoa where did that come from and you feel so conviction and you feel some uncomfortableness But it's good because God is revealing the impurities to you to get you away from them. God is bringing up those excuses you've been making about your spiritual life and you're seeing it now and you're like, whoa. God is moving in your life and so revival preaching, the fire is getting turned up. But it's to make you more valuable. It's to make you beautiful. It's to make you the man and woman of God that you need to be. And those impurities that you're trying to hold on to are only hurting you anyways. But it's easier to not let the fire do that. 
So the fire gets turned up and the impurities come to the top. The sin comes to the top. The one that you don't want to talk about, the one that you're secretive about, comes to the top. The attitudes you have on the inside that are not right, they come to the top when the fire of God comes. The, the excuses you make about your spiritual life and, and, and your church and everything else, it comes to the top. The, the issues that you don't want to deal with come to the top when the fire of God happens. And this is what God does when he turns the heat up and the impurities come to the top. If they were refining gold or silver, the, the person that's doing that moves all those impurities off the top, skims it off the top, so that the gold and silver are more valuable. And they are trying to get that gold and silver as pure as possible. Because the greater purity, the more valuable they are. I'm telling you this today. God's not looking for perfection, but the purer you are, the more that God can use you. The more you walk in holiness, the more God can use you. The more you're living pure and letting God clean you from the inside out, God can use you more. I'm not saying you got to be perfect because none of us are. But I am saying, the greater the purity, the greater the power. The greater the purity, the greater the value. The greater the purity, the greater the beauty. And that's what God wants to make your life, but you got to go through the process of the fire to get there. And many jump ship halfway through. Many Move away from the refiner's fire because it's too hot. But I want to be this, but you got to go through the fire first. But I want God to use me, but you got to go through the fire first. And the fire, once again, it's not to hurt you. It's to help you. It's not to condemn you, but it is to convict you. And the fire of God purifies and cleanses so that we can be a clean vessel that God can use. We should be thankful for the fire of God, not despising it. You should be thankful because if you feel conviction at all, if you feel uncomfortable, if you feel like you need to change or grow, you're in a great place. You should be thankful that you can still feel something. That means your heart is not been hardened to the place that you don't sense anything from God. So if you feel that, know it, that that's a great place to be. That's, that's not like, well, I feel a little convicted and uncomfortable, you know. I'm kind of not doing too good spiritually. No, that's great. That means that God is still moving in your life. That means you're still sensitive enough to hear his voice. But you have to let the fire of God purify you, cleanse you. Notice what the fire does. The fire can bring all those things up in you, all those impurities, all those unclean things, just like it does the silver and the gold. But we have to choose to let God remove it from us. It's not automatic. 
Just because you're uncomfortable about it doesn't mean it's removed from your life. Just because you're convicted about it, no, you have to actively choose that God, yeah, I see that sin. Yes, you brought it right up in my face, God. I see that. Oh, it, ri- it rose to the top. I-, I see that impurity, God. Oh, God, I see that bad attitude I've had. I-, I see those excuses now. Okay, but now what? Just because you see it, it's still there. You have to let God remove it from you. By surrendering your will to him and letting the fire of God skim off the impurities that you're a pure and clean vessel. You guys getting something this morning? I want to read again in Hebrews 12 and 28. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. I want to talk a second about something else that fire is. Fire is powerful. Fire is powerful. Fire can do so many things. Fire can heat your house. Fire can help you cook your food. Fire can run an engine. Fire is powerful in so many ways. And it describes God. God is a consuming fire. God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He's omnipresent. When God has all the powerful, he will consume your life. There will be no part of your life left untouched when the fire of God comes into it. He's not okay with him having 25% of you or 50% of you or 75% of you. No, God is a consuming fire. And when the fire of God is really working in your life and you're submitting your will to him, he will touch every area and consume every area. The consuming fire that God is will touch your marriage and your kids and the way you go to work and your money and your health and your mind and how you spend your days and how you spend your time. The fire of God is an all-consuming fire. And God is all-powerful, and he wants to have his power flow through you, but you must let him do it. Let the power of God flow through you, that consuming fire, and let him touch every part of your life, even the areas, like I said earlier, that you want him to leave alone. Because fire purifies, but also fire is powerful. I was thinking about fire in the Bible. It often refers to his passion. You know, I was born in 1987, so I grew up in the 90s. And this was a very 90s thing. In the church world, if you had a group, a youth group specifically, that was awesome, they were on fire. Every youth ministry was on fire. On fire, extreme fire, God fire. Came back from camp. All oh, these kids are on fire. This is a church on fire. Now, what does that mean? That means they're passionate. 
They got their passion back. And even in the Bible, when it talks about the fire of God, it's referring a lot of times to passion. It says in the Gospel of John that passion for God's house has consumed me. That's what they said about Jesus. Now, what's that? That was fire. So if Jesus was going around in his day, they would say, that Jesus, he's on fire because he's got passion. And we see that the fire of God is revealed in our passion. When, when somebody has a fiery personality, that means that they have passion. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. But they have passion. In the sports world, when they said somebody's fired up, that means they have passion. So when the fire of God comes into your life, it will produce passion. Passion in your worship, passion in your praise, passion in your prayer life, passion when you come to church, passion when you walk outside these doors, it will produce passion. Now I want to ask you today, because I know when we get saved, the fire of God comes on us and we're passionate, and then as we get down, it's sad to see people, the fire gets dimmer, the fire gets weaker, because they lose their fire, so they lose their passion. But we shouldn't be that way. The fire of God revealed in the Bible is our passion. We should not lose our passion. And passion is not just in your heart. I know I'm expressive. You don't have to tell me that. And for those of you in here who say, though, that's just not my personality, I'm not expressive. First of all, that's a lie. If they hit the right button with you, you'll be passionate. If you're at the right football game, oh, you're, you're a Pentecostal now. You're a Methodist when you come to church, but you're a Pentecostal at the football game. Oh, we hit the right button now. No, no. when you come to church, you're a Presbyterian, but when you go shopping, you're a Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled. My God, where did that passion come from? No, we're all passionate about something. We're all on fire about something. So this idea when we come to church and some of you say, well, I just don't, I'm not expressive like that. That's a lie. If the fire of God is burning in you, you will be passionate. And if you're passionate and you know it, then your face will surely show it. Then your mouth will show it. Then your arms will show it. Then your dance will show it. Then your expressions will show it. You won't stand here like this. When you act like this at the baseball game. But at church, you're like, not too into it. Love God, though. Passionate. Where? Are you? No, when the fire of God comes into you, the passion will flow. And not just in one area, in every area. In your words in your thoughts, in your mind, in your body, the passion of God will come through the fire of God. It will. Are you hearing me, church family? It will. And I'm not saying let's just be wild for wild's sake because that's not helping anything. I'm saying true passion and true fire, there is a proper response to it. And we need to get back to that. As a church, I can tell by your response, we really need to get back to it. 
The fire of God comes and the passion of God comes. And some of us are so concerned well, that they would just get out of control if everyone starts being on fire and passionate. Trust me, you're not anywhere close. <laughs> the words of an old preacher said, I would rather have a little wildfire than no fire at all. And I'm saying that too this morning. I'd have a little wildfire that we might have to clean up after service than no fire at all. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm not worried about it. I'm not concerned about it. Trust me, none of you are even close to the response level I'm talking about. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this to convict you. I'm talking to myself too. If, if I'm not responding, where is that fire? If I don't care about the things of God anymore, I'm not passionate about it. Where is that fire? It's not on God's side. It's not on my church side. It's on my side. If, if I'm not passionate about worship like I used to, I used to come up to the front and worship, and now I sit in the back. What's up? You're not cool. You're lukewarm. The passion of God needs to come back into this place. The fire of God is the passion of God. And if we're not passionate in here, I know you're not passionate out there. If we can't demonstrate our love for God in here, in a safe place, I know you ain't talking to nobody out there. If we're not passionate about our God in here, you're not talking to anybody at your job. If we're not passionate in here, we're not going to change the world out there. It starts here, but it shouldn't stay here. We need to get our fire back. We need to get our passion back. And it only comes through the fire of God. The fire of God purifies. The fire of God is powerful. And the fire of God gives you your passion back. People should look at your life and say, they are on fire. They are fired up for the right things. You guys know that the whole world is fired up about something. Have we seen that this year? People are fired up about the Democratic National Convention. I'm fired up about the Republican National Convention. Not something to get fired up about. I'm fired up about the financial situation. I'm fired up about my rights. I'm fired up about, okay, but be more fired up about God. Be fired up about what matters, what's important, not just political issues or social issues, spiritual issues. And the spiritual should flow into all the rest of those issues. But let's get the passion where it needs to be first. Are you receiving this this morning or not? I love this. John Wesley said this. He said, light yourself on fire. Not literally, young people. Light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. I believe that's what it means when the Bible says that the church would be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
Because how many know in those times, in those days, those cities had fires burning that they could see from miles and miles away. And that's what it's talking about here. We should be such a fire and a light in this community that people will come to watch it burn. That they can see the fire at their job, the fire at their school, the fire in, in their communities, the fire at their gym. The, the fire of God will produce so much passion that people will want to know what you have. And we will be that church, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. In that time and day, a city that was set on a hill could be hidden if they didn't have any light. They had to have some fire. Here's another quote. It says, the early church believed in the supernatural. Someone has said that at Pentecost, God set the church at Jerusalem on fire and the whole city came out to see it burn. I tell you, if that happened in any church today, within hours, the whole of the town would come out to see it burning. They would be caught in the flames. It is fire we want. Listen to this. The best advertising campaign that any church or any mission could put up is fire in the pulpit and a blaze in the pew. Let us be honest. If we say God send revival, are we prepared for the fire? That's what this world is looking for. Not just a bunch of lukewarm Christians walking around with no fire anymore. It's sad that people that don't know God have more passion about what they're for than what the church is for. That's why they have the influence a lot of times and the voice. Because they actually are on fire and passionate about what they're standing up for. And a lot of times... It's not what God wants. But that passion and that fire gets people's attention. You still here today? Can I get the praise team to come back up here this morning? Let's turn to Leviticus 6 and verse 12. I'm going to have you guys do Lord Sin Revival in a minute here. Leviticus 6, and we'll, we'll turn there. Still speaking about the fire of God. You realize that we mentioned earlier in the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament that fire was always used at the altar. It was always used with sacrifice. It was always used with purity. And Leviticus 6 we're going to read here, it talks about the instructions that God would give to his people about how they should be in his house, but what they should do with the fire at the altar. Leviticus 6 and verse 12, it says, And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay burnt offerings in order of it. And it shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. 
a fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Let's keep this here. I want you to hear me this morning. It says a fire shall be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. So what's the significance of that today in our lives? That's talking about an Old Testament tabernacle. But how many know the Old Testament are pointing to New Testament truths? The Old Testament tabernacle is a type and shadow of the New Testament. And there's some specific things that it says here. And it talks about an altar, a sacrifice, fire, and the priest. You realize here that in our lives, as believers in Jesus, the altar is our life. And it says that the fire shall never go out on the altar. We see here it says that they needed to put the sacrifice. In your Bible, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says that we should present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. You're saying, well, Jesus was a sacrifice. Yes, he was. And in light of what Jesus has done, I present my body back to him. He sacrificed for me. Now I put my life on the altar and sacrifice for him. So there's the altar. There's the sacrifice, which is our life. But it says, if you read in Leviticus, that the fire came down from heaven. But once the fire came down from heaven and hit the altar and hit the sacrifice, it was the priest's job to keep the fire burning. It was the priest's job to keep the fire stirred up. Now, the fire didn't originate with them. It came from heaven. Same way with us. The fire doesn't start with you. It comes from heaven by the Holy Spirit. But the priest had to keep the fire burning, had to keep the fire aflame, had to keep putting logs on the fire, had to keep getting the fire air, had to keep moving things around to keep that fire. And he says, a fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. And that should be my life in your life, there should always be a fire burning on the altar. There should always be a fire burning on the altar. There should always be a fire of this living sacrifice burning on the altar. And it should never go out. But what happens here, the priest had to keep the fire burning. Had to keep the fire stirred up. Had to keep the logs on the fire. They didn't start the fire, but they had to sustain the fire. And you know, your Bible says that Jesus is our high priest, but also we are kings and priests. And we have to keep the fire going in our own life. The fire started with him, but we must stir it up. We must put logs on the fire. We must fan the flame of the fire of God. And the fire should never go out on the altar. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6 in the Amplified. It says, this is why I would remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of, fan 
fan the flame of and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you by the means of laying on of hands with those of the elders at the ordination. Notice what Paul tells Timothy. I want to remind you, Timothy, don't let your fire go out. Don't let your fire get dim. I want you to stir it up, rekindle the embers of, fan the flame of, and keep burning. Notice the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you. Church, that's you. I'm speaking to you just like the Apostle Paul did to Timothy. There's a fire in you that God put in you, but you're going to have to rekindle the flame. You're going to have to fan the flame. You're going to have to keep it burning. You're going to have to put more logs on the fire. You're going to have to stir up the gift of God that is in you, the fire of God that is in you. You're wondering why your fire has grown dim because it's been left unattended for years. When you make a fire at your house or a bonfire, you don't just leave it burning and expect it to keep going forever. You got to keep going back to it and you got to put some more logs on it, don't you? You got to blow on it. You got to fan the flames. You got to you got to uh, put that stick in there and move some embers around and get things stirred up. But many of us don't do that with our spiritual life and we're wondering why we're not on fire anymore. Because you haven't put a log on since 95, 96, 97, 98. Because you haven't fanned the flame in three years. You haven't stirred up the gift of God, that fire on the inside of you in a long time. And you're thinking, God should do it. And God says, no, you do it. I sent the fire, but the priests are the ones who have to make sure the fire never goes out. The priests are the ones that are going to have to put the sacrifice up there. The priests are the ones who are going to minister at the altar. I will send the fire, but you need to keep it burning. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? But notice what it says. Let's bring up that 2 Timothy verse. I want to remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of, fan the flame of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you, by means of the laying on of hands. Now, I know a lot of you are already saved in here. You already know Jesus. You've already experienced some of the fire of God. But this morning, I want to impart to you, and I want to believe with you that we're going to put a log on the fire this morning. We're going to rekindle some flames this morning. We're going to stir up those embers. And how do we do it? It says, by the laying on of hands. By the laying on of hands. That fire that's grown dim, we're going to pray that that fire is going to grow this morning. That fire is going to get turned up this morning. That the fire of God for revival is going to come alive in you again. By the laying on of hands. So I'm going to give you a few instructions real quick. We're going to pray for you this morning. Now, if you don't want to come up here because you're uncomfortable because of COVID-19, don't come up here. I will put my mask back on when I'm praying for you. And you have your mask on. I've already told the ushers they're going to socially distance you so we're not all close to each other. So this might take a little bit longer 
but we're okay, aren't we? So I want to ask you, we're going to sing Lord Sin Revival. And as we sing, if you want prayer this morning, like it says, the laying on of hands will help rekindle that fire, will fan that flame, will stir up the fire of God in you. I want you to come up here this morning and we're going to pray for you. Can somebody move this for me? And let's turn our faith up. Come on, let's stand up today together. Let's stand up this morning.